When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. WABC New York and 1071 WLIR Hampton Bays. It's the 77 WABC News Hour. Talking the news with Noah Layden. All the news you need to know with Joe Nolan, Traffic, Justin Ellick, Sports. And now, talking the news with Noah on 77 WABC. Yep, that's me, 5 o'clock. Good morning. It is Tuesday, August 1st. Your forecast from the Ramsey Mazda Weather Center. Could see. A shower this morning, then a mix of sun and clouds this afternoon. High 80. Tonight, overnight, partly cloudy, low 64. Wednesday, sunshine, high 82. If you're walking out the door with us right now, 68, partly cloudy in Long Beach out on Long Island. 63 and cloudy in Bloomingdale down in New Jersey. And it is 67 and clear here in Midtown. So much to get to as we work our way up to the 6 o'clock hour. Sid and friends in the morning. So sad to see that a Paul Rubens passed away yesterday. All of us sort of shocked by this because he was a young guy, 70 years old. Apparently kept his uh, cancer a secret uh, for a number of years. Even had a statement ready to go uh, when he passed away. Phil Rosenthal, you know, the great executive producer of Everybody Loves Raymond, apparently very tight with Paul Rubens. I saw him last night talking about how Paul called him two days ago to say that uh, goodbye, that he knew his time was up and he was going to pass away. And so there was a message on his Instagram, Facebook, all the social media platforms yesterday saying, you know, please accept my apology for not going public for what I've been facing the last six years. He says, I always felt a huge amount of love and respect from my friends, fans and supporters. I've loved you all so much and enjoyed making art for you. And I, I kind of like that he kept it secret. You know, you don't have to go public with everything. Interesting guy. Um, you know, he had joined the um, Groundlings, which was this famous improv group uh, out in L.A., and that's where he had formed this character, Pee Wee Herman, which would make him a superstar later in his life. You're a nerd. I know you are, but what am I? You're an idiot. I know you are, but what am I? I know <laughs> you, you are, are, but what am I? Yes, from Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Then he went on to the show for If You Were Around My Age. There was no more bigger show than Pee Wee's Playhouse. Uh, 22 Emmy Awards. It was on for I think it was eight seasons altogether. Yeah, I mean, there was nothing bigger. I think it was 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock every Saturday morning. Uh, it was appointment television when I was a kid. No two ways about it. Uh, you know, you don't know a lot about somebody, right? He's just a famous guy who you saw on TV. But it was interesting to see some of the people who came out yesterday. One of them was Fred Atkins, who lives in Sarasota, Florida, where Rubens grew up. And he said... um he was the only white kid in the school who reached out to African-American kids. He definitely was an all right guy. He uh, one of one of the few guys in the beginning of desegregation at Sarasota High School that was 
receptive and inviting. And apparently this relationship was a lifetime relationship. Atkins went on to be mayor of Sarasota. Pee-wee kept in touch. You know, hey, man, what's going on? You all right? He's always checking on you. You all right? And he would, he would also say, yeah, man, I'm all right. I'm all right. You know, he's crack a joke or uh, do something crazy, and he'd keep on moving. And he said uh, towards the end, he said he knew something was wrong, but Paul did not share the fact of how sick he was. We get a car, and we get some crazy cars from Paul Rubin. <laughs> and Halloween, you get even more crazy cars from Paul. Yeah, and I had my moment with him. Boy, this goes back a long time ago. I don't even remember the year, but he had reprised the character, Pee Wee Herman, and he was taking it out on tour. And so he was doing all the media stuff. And so he showed up at the radio station I was at. And so they had brought him in while I was on the air and then sat him in place. And uh, he did never got out, went out of character. So we did a little bit. We go to a commercial break. And so I sort of lean in. And I say, hey, Paul. And uh, he would not leave the Pee Wee Herman character. And I talked to other people who had interviewed him over the years when he was in that Pee Wee character. Same thing uh, during a commercial break would not break character. But anyway, just sad to see he go. 70s, uh, way too young for a guy like that. Uh, gave us a lot. Uh, we will miss you, Pee Wee. All right, let's get into the headlines. The top five at five. Republicans think they have connected the dots between Hunter and Joe. Staten Island wants out of New York City again. Some subway riders charged too much. A Long Island man treads water for five hours. And Muhammad Ali's son is about to fight at Madison Square Garden. All right, let's get into it. 505 will start in D.C. Devin Archer yesterday telling the House Oversight Committee that his former business partner, uh, Hunter Biden, was selling the illusion of access to his father, Joe Biden. This is according to a source familiar with the closed-door interview. Latest development in this Republican-led congressional investigation into the president's son. So some people who were in and out meeting uh, talking about it afterwards. One of them, Arizona Republican Andy Biggs. Devin Archer himself said that was an implication of of who the big guy is. Archer says that uh, Hunter would sometimes put his father on speakerphone while meeting with business partners. Andy Biggs uh, says uh, Devin Archer revealed during this meeting that Hunter's family's name helped Ukrainian natural gas firm uh, Burisma's business when Hunter sat on the board. Archer talked about the big guy and, and how Hunter Biden always said we need to talk to my guy. We need to see when my guy is going to be here. So Democrats on the panel, you might not be surprised, pushing back on this, downplaying the testimony. One of them, uh, New York's own Dan Goldman, the new uh, congressman from Brooklyn, says Archer was very consistent in saying that the conversations involving Joe Biden had nothing to do with business. Hunter may have put his father uh, on the, the phone with any number of different people, and they never once spoke about any business dealings. Yeah, Republicans pushing back at that idea. They would say, why would he be on the phone then? It was all casual conversation, niceties, the weather, what's going on. Well, Republicans, of course, will continue to sniff around. Democrats will push back. Uh, more on this story, no doubt, is going to come out. WABC News Time 509. Let's go down to Florida. The property manager of Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate made his first appearance in a Miami courtroom Monday. Carlos de Oliveira did not enter a plea during this morning's scheduled arraignment in Miami federal court. He's charged with conspiracy to obstruct justice and making false statements to the FBI about classified documents stored at Mar-a-Lago. Federal investigators say at 
at Trump's direction, he tried to delete surveillance video from the Palm Beach Club showing boxes of paperwork being moved. De Oliveira, like former President Trump's aide Walt Nada, did not have a Florida-based attorney and was ordered to return on August 10th to Fort Pierce for his arraignment. He's been released on a $100,000 bond. Trump and Nada have already pleaded not guilty. They're set to go to trial in May. Eric Rodriguez, Miami. And Donald Trump predicting he'll be indicted any day now as part of the investigation into his efforts to stay in power after the 2020 election. In a truth social post, Trump called it an attempt to cover up allegations of bribes and payoffs aimed at President Biden and his family. He said it's election interference and prosecutorial misconduct. Special counsel Jack Smith is investigating Trump's role in the 2021 Capitol riot and repeated false claims about the election being rigged. Trump recently shared that he received a letter from the Justice Department notifying him he was a target in the investigation. I'm Mark Mayfield. Let's go overseas. The Ukrainian minister who oversees the country's army of drones says there will be more strikes to come after drones hit buildings in Moscow over the weekend. Correspondent Matt Bradley has the latest. Only one person was injured in the attack, according to Russia's state news agency. But this was the fourth time the capital has come under fire in recent weeks, exposing how Russia remains vulnerable even far behind its front lines in Ukraine. Russia's defense minister said drones hit two commercial buildings on Sunday, claimed a third drone was destroyed before reaching Moscow. The U.S., they're not encouraging or enabling strikes outside of Ukraine's borders. Here's a State Department spokesman, Matthew Miller. I don't think any attempt to draw uh, any equivalency is one that's actually backed up. Yes, yeah, so Miller telling reporters yesterday it's up to Ukraine to decide how to conduct its war with Russia. His comments, Corum, of course, after this war seems to be amping up and maybe moving towards Russia. We neither encourage nor enable strikes outside Ukraine's borders, but it is up for, to Ukraine to decide how to conduct this war. Yeah, but Kiev repeatedly trying to strike targets in Moscow using those drones. 512, let's bring it back home. Republican presidential candidate Ron DeSantis continues what he calls his great American comeback tour. He was in New Hampshire yesterday, of course, one of the first primary states, unveiling his declaration of economic independence for the country. He says mostly this would happen by decoupling from China. Multinational corporations, particularly big tech companies, they've seen a massive surge in wealth while selling our assets and outsourcing our industrial base to China. The Florida governor's 10-point economic policy outlines the fight for the middle class by taking on, he says, the elites, D.C. bureaucrats, and China. We also have to stop selling out this country's future to China. It is hurting our middle class and it is hurting our national security. So this was DeSantis's uh, third major policy announcement in advance of that GOP presidential debate that will happen August 23rd in Milwaukee. DeSantis says the average American is losing wealth while the rich are raking it in and he wants to stop that. Today, the bottom half of households have less wealth than they did in 1989. Meanwhile, the top 10% have added $29 trillion in wealth. Let's stay on the campaign trail. Lara Trump, who is former President Trump's daughter-in-law, she was on with Sid and Sid and Friends in the morning yesterday, where she admitted if President Biden drops out of the race and Michelle Obama jumps in, which there's no indication that's happening, but if it were to happen, she said uh, Michelle would be awfully hard to beat. You know, Michelle has a very high likability rating, on both sides of the aisle. She was a first lady. First ladies don't get really in-depth into politics. And so 
usually they come out a little better than a president. Lara, though, says she's very confident her father-in-law will be the GOP nominee next summer at the Republican convention in Milwaukee. 514, a ban on the old school light bulbs. It actually starts today. Environmental groups cheering the move to LED lights. These have much longer shelf life and we use about 90% less energy than incandescent light bulbs. Luke Metzger there with an environmental group says the LED bulbs cost a little more, but they use less energy. The energy department says the move away from those incandescent lights will reduce power bills by billions of dollars every year. About 95% of the energy is lost to heat. And that's why if you touch an old school light bulb, you might burn yourself. So uh, he says, uh, go out and buy these lights. Uh, The LED ones, they last a whole lot longer than the old school light bulbs. That's been my experience, too. We've seen just a dramatic shift in the last 15 years around the technology of light bulbs. The price has dropped, you know, more than 15 times. Yeah, so that ban, well, and those old light bulbs, by the way, you can get anywhere if you walk into stores, they're still there. But the ban on them does begin today. All right, 515, let's head over to the 77WABC Sports Desk. Good morning. Happy Tuesday, Justin Ellick. Good morning. Happy Tuesday to you, Gnome Layden. It was just the Yankees in action last night, albeit their performance not being very action-packed, if you will, falling to the division rival Tampa Bay Rays 5-1 to in the opener of a three-game set at the stadium. Domingo Herman was originally meant to start this game, but was scratched due to discomfort in his armpit. Evidently, he was feeling much better later on in the contest as he'd enter the game in relief of his spot starter, in his Johnny Burrito. What, yeah. what happened that, that would have hurt in his armpit? I don't I really exact, exactly <laughs> weird know. injury. Maybe like some sort of cut or something. I don't know. Did I don't you, know how you injure your armpit. See, maybe putting on your deodorant or something? Maybe. <laughs> uh, you know, maybe you yanked a few hairs. I, 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 right. I, I don't know. It's an odd one. I, I, I don't it's have, like the big toe. The uh, yeah, exactly. Well, well, a little bit different. Yeah. I think you need your armpit a little less than you need your big toe, maybe. Hmm. Yeah, you know? might be right about that. I I might be. As far as runs did go last night, it was just a one for New York, thanks to a Jake Bauer solo shot off of Tyler Glass now in the second inning. Other than that, it was all raised all night long, and the Yankees now once again have hit double digits in their divisional deficit, which now sits at 10 games back. They'll try again tonight in the middle game with Tampa, set for 7.05 p.m. first pitch, with Carlos Rodon taking the hill against Tampa's Zach Eflin. The Yanks have yet to make any moves ahead of tonight's trade deadline, so we'll be monitoring that situation closely as 6 p.m. this evening approaches. Speaking of making moves ahead of tonight's deadline, the Mets have been the opposite of quiet, making another move yesterday that sent outfielder Mark Canna to the Milwaukee Brewers for minor league pitcher Justin Jarvis. Still no movement from the Mets regarding the big fish and ace Justin Verlander, as rumors have continued to swirl around the 40-year-old right-hander. We'll be keeping a close eye on that today as well. And from New Zealand, earlier this morning, no. Yeah. Uh, I guess really, I, I guess the games must have started at uh, at really two or two thirty in the morning. The United States finished as runners up in Group E and advances to the Women's World Cup round of sixteen after being helped to a zero zero draw with Portugal. They'll play next coming up on Sunday, so they just squeak through and make the uh, the round of sixteen. There, the knockout stage is what they call it, I do believe. Here with sports, though, no, on 77 WABC, I'm Justin Alec. WABC Newstime 519, the so-called doomsday cult mom, she's going to spend life behind bars for the murder of her two youngest children. You're sentenced to the custody of the State Board of Corrections to serve the maximum allowed sentence, a fixed determinate term of life imprisonment. 
with no possibility of parole. Earlier this year, Lori Vallow Daybell found guilty of murdering her 17-year-old daughter, her 7-year-old son, conspiring to kill her husband's ex-wife. Daybell also charged in Arizona for the death of her first husband. Uh, Here's what she had to say. Because of these communications, I know for a fact that my children are happy and busy in the spirit world. Yeah, I mean, it gets a little whack here. The first time JJ visited me after he passed away, he put his arm around me and he said to me, you didn't do anything wrong, Mom. Yeah, uh, throw away the key on that one, right? Put her behind bars, throw away the key. Thousands of people across the country started this week without jobs after the company Yellow Freight abruptly shut its doors. Driver Dwayne says uh, he's not really sure what he's going to do now. When you pass 60 like me, it's like, come on, man, really? I'm thinking I'm about to retire in, a, in another year or two, and then you, you hit me with this year? This was a big deal. The company employed about 33,000 workers. As of late March, Yellow um, had $5 billion, had uh, an outstanding debt of $1.5 billion with $1.3 billion in loans that were come due next year, including $729 million owed to the federal government from the COVID days. And so that is part of what did them in. Gas prices uh, surging to an eight-month high. Correspondent Steve Patterson has the details on that. As the temperatures and the heat are spiking this summer, so too, of course, unfortunately, are the gas prices. Mio getting hammered by gas prices after a lull in uh, upticks. Uh, 375 the average over the weekend, actually already up a cent or two today. So uh, that's 17 cents more than it was just even a week ago. The refinery capacity is, in fact, way down, which means those places which produce the gas itself, turn crude oil into gas, can't do it at the same level that they're normally used to. 521, let's go down to the Sunshine State. A federal judge in South Florida putting an end to a multi-million dollar lawsuit against Kraft Heinz Food Company. A Miami-Dade County woman filed the suit late last year, claiming the company was misleading customers about how long it takes to prepare its Velveeta microwavable mac and cheese. The company was accused of violating federal law by saying the food takes three and a half minutes to prepare arguing it did not include the time that it takes to remove the lid and add water. A Miami district judge tossed out the case last week, saying the woman did not have enough standing to follow through with the $5 million class action lawsuit. I'm Mark Mayfield. And you wonder why it takes so long for things to get through courts. Uh, Back here in New York, by the way, just as crazy, New York City man suing Taco Bell for false advertising because he's not getting enough beef and beans on his Mexican pizza. The man filing lawsuit in federal court yesterday, arguing that many of the menu items at the fast food restaurant don't have the same amount of fillings compared with the pictures used in advertisements. The plaintiff uh, seeking class action status on the lawsuit to bring in any other customers disappointed with their food as well. Uh, Heineken's CEO criticizing Anheuser-Busch after the fallout of their partnership with transgender influencer Dylan Mulvaney. Dolph Vandenbrink told CNBC that the rival company should stand up for their values. Conservatives boycotted the beer brand after Mulvaney's deal, resulting in a nearly 25% loss in the period compared to the same time last year. Vanderbrink said polarization in society affects businesses and brands, and companies need to be thoughtful while also standing up for principles they believe in.
I'm Lisa Taylor. 523, a new study finds more than half of U.S. US adults live paycheck to paycheck. A new report from Lending Club puts that number at 61%. It suggests that lower-income workers have been hit the hardest by price increases because food and other staples account for a bigger share of their household budgets. Among consumers earning less than $50,000 annually, roughly three-quarters were living paycheck to paycheck in June. This comes despite signs that inflation appears to be cooling. I'm Mark Mayfield. A new study ranks the uh, best and worst states in which to retire. This is from Bankrate. Their analyst, uh, Alex uh, Gailey, says states were graded on several things. So I looked at affordability, looked at the cost and quality of health care, overall well-being, weather and crime for all 50 states to come up with the rankings we did for best and worst states to retire. Okay, you ready for this? According to Bankrate, the number one retirement state is Iowa. But the problem is, of course, is that you're in Iowa if you retire there, followed by Delaware. It doesn't get a whole lot more exciting than that. And West Virginia, uh, the worst three states, you won't be surprised to hear, are California at 48, followed by New York. And at the bottom of the list is Alaska. Not just housing, but also health care, everyday goods and services, taxes. So it's not really conducive for retirees who are living on a fixed income and looking to stretch their retirement savings. Yeah, New York, one of the worst states to retire in because, well, no doubt if you're here, you know this already. It's, uh, well, it's expensive. It has high property taxes, higher state and local sales tax, and it also has higher rates for homeowners insurance. And then you also see that the cost of health care is very expensive in New York. And this bank rate analyst, uh, Alex Scaley, explains why Iowa uh, took the top spot as the place for seniors to retire. It's so desirable for retirees because of the local cost of living there. It's the sixth cheapest place to live in the U.S. We know that medium home price in Iowa is well below the nationwide medium home price. And it also rings well for its health care services. I guess I'll point out again that you're in Iowa, though, at the end of the day. Uh, here's why Alaska's at the bottom of the list. The cost of living there is very high. We see that both for housing and for health care. So Alaska is a very expensive place to live in. And there actually are really not that many older Americans living in Alaska. It ranks pretty low for the amount of adults 65 and older there. All right, 526. Police investigating a rapper Cardi B for battery after she threw a microphone at an audience member who had thrown a drink at her during a concert. That's according to a Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department statement to the New York Post. The woman allegedly hit at Dre's Beach Club reported the incident to police the next day. Videos from the event show the 30-year-old rapper throwing the mic toward the audience after a person splashes liquid from a cup at her. TMZ reports that before the incident happened, Cardi B and her DJ allegedly told the crowd to cool the singer down with water in the hot weather. I'm Brian Shook. All right. Uh, you know, we are uh, now more than halfway through the summer, which is sad. It's moving fast. Wall Street will kick off this first day of August after closing higher yesterday to cap what was a pretty positive month. Stocks rallied in July with all three major indexes gaining about 3% or more. Better than expected second quarter earnings and data that shows cooling inflation helped boost market sentiment. Investors today will be keeping an eye out for data on job openings, 
Uh, construction spending earnings results also coming in today from Uber, Starbucks, Pfizer, and JetBlue. We've got a lot more to get to as we work our way up, sit in friends in the morning at 6 o'clock. Before we head out of here on this Tuesday morning, we'll tell you why Staten Island wants out of New York City again and if it could happen this time. Some subway riders uh, charged way too much as they uh, took rides down below. A Long Island man treads water for five hours, lives to tell his story. And Muhammad Ali's grandson is about to fight at the garden. We'll hear from him as well. Those stories and more coming up right after this. The 77 WABC News Hour. Talking the news with Noah Layden on 77 WABC. Rudy Giuliani. I ran the best United States Attorney's Office in the country, then and now. I ran it at a time of its maximum production, without any question. But I never had a guy like this Jack Smith. He's tested. He's ready. He's New York proud. America's mayor. The mayor of New York City, Rudy Giuliani. Weekday afternoons at 3, after Greg Kelly. Talk Radio 77 WABC and WABCRadio.com. It's the 77 WABC News Hour. Talking the news with Noah Layden. All the news you need to know with Joe Nolan, Traffic, Justin Ellick, Sports. And now, talking the news with Noah on 77 WABC. Yep, that's me, 531. Good morning. It is Tuesday, August 1st. Already August. Your forecast from the Ramsey Mazda Weather Center could see a shower this morning, then a mix of sun and clouds this afternoon, high 80. Tonight, overnight, partly cloudy, low 64. A Wednesday, sunshine, high 82. If you're walking out the door with us right now, so happy you are. 68, partly cloudy in Long Beach out on Long Island. 63 and cloudy in Bloomingdale down in New Jersey. And it is 67 and clear in Midtown. We'll start this half hour uh, in the place that's sometimes called the Forgotten Borough, Staten Island. Staten Island lawmaker, Congresswoman Nicole Maliotakis, suggesting the borough break away from the rest of New York City following the opposition to the MTA's congestion pricing plan. She says that's one of many reasons uh, Staten Island should break away from New York City. These Staten Islanders, uh, they're not so sure they're ready for that to happen. On our own because... We probably would be better off on our own because they treat us like we're on our own anyway. Services, when it snows. No, I don't agree with that. I think it's more of a suburb from the city, but still part of the city. It's better to stay connected with the city. Staten Islanders asking lots of good questions, like who would uh, run the fire department, the police department, who would pick up the trash, would they become part of New Jersey, would they still stay part of New York? None of those questions completely uh, answered, but Maliotakis uh, says it's time to secede, and there's uh, no real value, she says, in being part of the city. Staten Islanders, of course, have long complained about paying tolls to get parts of the city, and now politicians on Long Island getting ready for what they say would be a legal battle to fight congestion pricing and to leave Staten Island. Most people or don't really I feel say New York. that Staten Island is considered one of the boroughs. We're always kind of isolated, so that would make sense to me that we're trying to be our own. No, I don't think 
anybody should be cut off from the rest. You get a disaster and you're on your own. That's not good. Yeah. Uh, Manhattan or uh, Staten Island Borough President Vita Fasella was not willing to j- jump totally onto this uh, idea of seceding from New York City. Here he was uh, speaking to us yesterday. We do this again. Everything's got to be on the table, whether it's the financial cost, the political cost, the political pathway all those things need to be on the table yeah. and up front uh so not clear if the two have spoken the congresswoman and the uh staten island borough president about this idea of staten island leaving new york city we'll cross that bridge when we get to it uh but for now what we have to do is fight for the people of staten island the best we can uh, given the fact that it's still part of new york city and still part of new york state Vito facella saying right now he's more concentrated on making sure that staten islanders don't get charged at all to come into Manhattan with this congestion pricing plan set to go into effect next spring. You'll remember uh, in the early 1990s, Staten Island residents voted to secede in a referendum, but state lawmakers did not uh, go get on board with this idea because uh, that's what you can vote this referendum in, which they did in Staten Island. But ultimately, the state has to sign off on it, and they did not back in the 1990s. Would they now? Don't know. We'll get that far. We don't know that either. 534, Mayor Adams again asking for federal help after migrants are forced to sleep on sidewalks and in cardboard boxes outside the Roosevelt Hotel again overnight. We saw them out there this morning. Hotel is the processing center for newly arriving migrants, but it's just overflowing with people. We need help, and it's it's not going to get any better. From, from this moment on, it's downhill. Uh, there is no more room. So the mayor is promising us that uh, there will not be tent cities with migrants all over the city. But he says uh, that they need the help from the feds to find places for all these migrants to go. Or they just have to stop the flow of the migrants that continue to be bussed into the Port Authority every single day. For now, I regret coming. I like Maybe when I take a hotel and like stay for two months to get a on feet. Like, maybe I won't regret. That's one of the migrants who was stuck outside yesterday on this block where the Roosevelt Hotel is. There's a fair amount of businesses right there. One of them is a restaurant uh, right across the street from the hotel. He says on a normal day, when things are normal outside that hotel, he'll get around 300 people for lunch. He says yesterday he had only 80. And he says the migrants are the reason why. This is suffer for all of us. It makes absolutely no sense. I, I don't see how this is going to help them even. The Legal Aid Society says the Adams administration is hoping that migrants thinking about coming to New York are seeing these pictures of these men sleeping outside the hotel and he they say uh, they hope that'll change the migrants minds and that's what this is all about a political play. The mayor has been clear that he wants the message to people at the border to be that New York City is not welcoming them anymore. The city has been handing out paperwork. They have people down there at the border with paperwork that's bright yellow sheets in a bunch of different languages that say, hey, it's probably not a good idea to come to New York because it's so damn expensive and we've run out of room. 
Uh, so Mayor Adams uh, hoping that works. I can assure you that this city is not going to look like other cities with their tents up and down every street. Well, let's hope so. Uh, Curtis, our own Curtis Lewa, outside the Roosevelt Hotel early this morning, uh, watching these migrants who are sleeping outside, uh, trying to get into the hotel to see if there's actually rooms available. Uh, he was uh, told that he they weren't he wasn't allowed inside and that what was going on inside was none of his business uh i imagine that is not the end for curtis he will continue to push to see what information he can find out wabc news time 538 let's go out to long island a brentwood long island man under arrest accused of fatally stabbing his wife and two-year-old daughter 31 year old zanor jafari pleading not guilty yesterday two charges of murder in a court appearance investigators say he uh, recently moved from brooklyn to brentwood had a history of domestic violence neighbors in brentwood were watching as uh, the ambulance police cars uh, showed up they say they didn't know much about this family it was just a man like i think it was the police they carried out a little girl she was like bleeding and all there was police everywhere police tape when i walked out I saw an ambulance uh, taking off. Yes. Unheard of around here. We all good people over here, all family members. I have kids here. Suffolk County police responding to the scene on Jefferson Avenue after getting call from a man who was completely hysterical. But, uh, something that we, we, we wouldn't wouldn't expect. It's uh, unfortunate, sad, and unbelievable. Yeah. Police found Misba Batul, who was 33 years old, Azia Zanur, who was two with stab wounds. They were rushed to South Shore University Hospital in Bayshore, where they were pronounced dead. Another five-year-old child who was inside the home was found uninjured. 540, uh, this is just a crazy, wild story. Uh, a, um, a 63-year-old man rescued from the Atlantic Ocean out on Long Island yesterday morning after apparently treading water for over five hours. Dan Ho, who's from Copeg, went for a swim around 5 a.m. at Cedar Beach, that's in Babylon, and was pulled out by the current into the open water. After five hours of treading water with no flotation device, he found a broken fishing pole in the water. He tied his shirt to the edge of the pole. Now, this is while not holding on to anything. He's treading water. And he started waving that pole as furiously as he can to try to get the attention of any boats relatively nearby to know that he was there. About uh, two and a half miles of south of where Ho had entered the water, Two men on a boat spotted him. So, I mean, he'd really gone far out. They saw him waving that fishing pole, and uh, they raced over to him, threw him a life ring, and pulled him onto the boat. As we got closer, we both sort of looked at it. It was like, that's a person. So he was just treading water, praying that some boat would come by, and I can tell you there were no boats in the area. I mean, not for miles. Jim Hohurst and his friend Michael Ross had been fishing for striped bass when they saw something move in the water. And, yeah, they realized it was a person, Dan Ho. He was blue, lips blue, body's gray. He was shaking. He was totally hypothermic. We wrapped him in towels. I had my arm around him sitting in the back seat just keeping him from falling over. And Jim's on the radio with the Coast Guard. Ho was uh, conscious but unable to just, uh, to stand. Uh, officers met up with their boat, brought him to the Fire Island Coast Guard station. He was treated by a medic there, brought to a local hospital. Really a miracle story. He just kept saying, I thought I was a goner. I thought I was a goner. 
just hope everything's good and he's he's okay. Yeah, so Jim Hohurst, Michael Ross, for sure, heroes for finding him in the water. Amazing that he was able to stay out there as long. And while we're talking about being out into the water, the uh, Greenwich Department of Health is warning the public about a thing called swimmer's itch. After receiving multiple reports that several beaches, swimmer's itch is a dermatitis appears as a skin rash caused by an allergic reaction to parasites in the water that are released from snails. Uh, so uh, they had people who were, you know, heading to the waters in Connecticut yesterday, and they were told about this. Hey, they say, if you go in the water, you might come out with swimmer's itch. I had it a couple of years ago, and it's not comfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, you just have to show. You've got to be respectful of nature. Yes, yeah, so although humans are not the parasite's preferred host, they can come in contact with a swimmer and cause this allergic reaction and rash. Doctors say it's really no big deal at the end of the day. Just, you know, it might be a little uncomfortable. It might be scratching in places you don't normally scratch. It really could be from hours to even a few days afterwards. But again, it would be sort of a real appearance of what appears to be pimples or blisters. You would know, uh, and it might be itchy. Yeah, sounds like a lot of fun. The rash is not contagious, cannot be spread from one person to another. Another, apparently children are most susceptible because they tend to wade in the water for longer periods of time. So uh, I guess you're supposed to shower, towel dry immediately. That might help. But people on the beach yesterday, some of them who had planned their vacation at Connecticut beaches were like, what gives? We've got a lot of kids here and, you know, obviously don't want to deal with any medical issues, mm-hmm. uh, especially on vacations. It comes happens every year mm-hmm. for the month of August. Um, the bites last about three days mm-hmm. and then they go away. You know, sometimes stories surprise me. I had, you know, things in life that I, I lasted this long in life without having heard of swimmers itch before. <laughs> so it's a new one for me. Some, uh, New York City subway riders could be due for a refund after the MTA instituted its fare hike just a little early yesterday. The MTA says commuters who use the, um, tap and go payment system were charged $2.90 instead of two seventy five. The higher fare is not supposed to go into effect until August 20th. So this was uh, almost 20 days early. An MTA spokesman says a vendor in charge of the payment system accidentally rolled out the payment increases too early and impacted commuters uh, should look out for a refund. I mean, it's not a lot of money, but hey, if you're going down there, you shouldn't be charged two ninety when the fare is still two seventy five. All right, coming up, 545, traffic, uh, no, sports. This is what happens when you don't have a good night's sleep. Yeah. Let's head over to the 77 WABC Sports Desk, and here's Justin Ellick. Thank you, Noam. I'll let in just the Yanks in action last night. Oh, oh my! Yes, he is all right, albeit their performance not being very action-packed, if you will, falling to the division rival Tampa Bay Rays. 5-1 to one in the opener of a three-game set at the stadium. Domingo Herman, he was originally meant to start this game, but was scratched due to discomfort in his armpit. Evidently, he was feeling much better later on in the contest. I wonder if he had swimmer's itch. Did, well, was he at the Connecticut Beach by any chance? I don't think so, oh, okay. because he had to be at Yankee Stadium. Okay. You know, in a timely manner. He was he was supposed to start the game. So he has to be there to prepare. And then all of a sudden, he gets this discomfort in his armpit, hmm. which I guess means, you know, can't start. Because if it's swimmer's itch, I'm told it goes away in like two or three days. Oh, okay. Well, it went away by the end of the game, because he came in <laughs> He came in to uh, relief. He came in to relieve his spot starter, Johnny Burrito. 
So uh, evidently, Domingo Herman feeling much better as the game went along there. As far as runs go, it was just a 1-4 New York thanks to a Jake Bauer solo shot off of Tyler Glasnow in the second inning. Other than that, it was all raised all night long. And the Yanks now, once again, have hit double digits in their divisional deficit, which now sits at 10 games back. They'll try again tonight in the middle game with Tampa, set for a 7.05 p.m. first pitch with Carlos Rodan taking the hill against Tampa's Zach Eflin. The Yanks have yet to make any moves ahead of tonight's trade deadline, so we'll be monitoring that situation closely at 6 p.m. this evening uh, approaches. Speaking of making moves ahead of tonight's deadline, the Mets have uh, been the opposite of quiet, making another move yesterday that sent outfielder Mark Canna to the Milwaukee Brewers for minor league pitcher Justin Jarvis. Still no movement from the Mets regarding the big fish in ace Justin Verlander, as rumors have continued to swirl around the 40-year-old right-hander. We'll, keep, uh, we'll be keeping, I should say, a close eye on that today as well. And from New Zealand earlier this morning, the United States finished as runners-up in Group E and advanced to the Women's World Cup round of 16 after being held to a 0-0 draw with Portugal. I'm sure that game was riveting. Yeah. They'll, play, <laughs> they'll play next coming up on uh, Sunday. Here was sports on 77 WABC. I'm Justin Ellis. And they wonder why soccer never catches exactly. on Exactly. Zero, 0-0 draw at, at 2 o'clock in the morning. What, <laughs> yeah. what are we doing? I, I mean, know, my but, God. But people are staying up, I'm sure, to watch Yeah, it. I'm sure they're watching. I'm sure a whole, whole, whole ton of people were watching. <laughs> yeah. the, the bars were packed. Let's catch you up on the big stories of the morning. Devin Archer down in Washington telling the House Oversight Committee that his former business partner, Hunter Biden, was selling the illusion of access to his father, of course, who's Joe Biden, according to a source who's familiar with this closed-door interview, the latest development in this Republican-led congressional investigation into the president's son. Some of the people who were in that meeting speaking about it afterwards, one of them, Arizona Republican Andy Biggs, who says um, that uh, Hunter Biden's former business partner would sometimes put his father on speakerphone while meeting with business partners. Devin Archer himself said that was an implication of of who the big guy is. So uh, that's uh, Biggs that says after the meeting, says Devin Archer revealed Hunter's family's name helped Ukrainian natural gas firm uh, Burisma's business when Hunter sat on the board. Archer talked about the big guy and, and how Hunter Biden always said, we need to talk to my guy. We need to see when my guy is going to be here. Democrats, of course, sit on this oversight committee as well. One of them, Brooklyn's Congressman Dan Goldman, who says Archer was very consistent in saying the conversations involving Joe Biden had nothing to do with business. Hunter may have put his father uh, on the, the phone with any number of different people, and they never once spoke about any business dealings. Republicans say that's just ridiculous. Why was he on the phone then? It was all casual conversation niceties, the weather, what's going on. Yeah, it wasn't only the uh, Bidens getting the heat yesterday. The uh, property manager of Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate making his four to, uh, first court appearance in Miami. Carlos de Oliveira did not enter a plea during this morning's scheduled arraignment in Miami federal court. He's charged with conspiracy to obstruct justice and making false statements to the FBI about classified documents stored at Mar-a-Lago. Federal investigators say at Trump's direction, he tried to delete surveillance video from the Palm Beach Club showing boxes of paperwork being moved. De Oliveira, like former President Trump's aide Walt Nada, did not 
have a Florida-based attorney and was ordered to return on August 10th to Fort Pierce for his arraignment. He's been released on a $100,000 bond. Trump and Nada have already pleaded not guilty. They're set to go to trial in May. Eric Rodriguez, Miami. And Donald Trump predicting he'll be indicted any day now as part of the investigation into his efforts to stay in power after the 2020 election. In a truth social post, Trump called it an attempt to cover up allegations of bribes and payoffs aimed at President Biden and his family. He said it's election interference and prosecutorial misconduct. Special counsel Jack Smith is investigating Trump's role in the 2021 Capitol riot and repeated false claims about the election being rigged. Trump recently shared that he received a letter from the Justice Department notifying him he was a target in the investigation. I'm Mark Mayfield. Overseas, the Ukrainian minister who oversees the country's army of drones says there will be more strikes to come after drones hit buildings in Moscow over the weekend. Correspondent Matt Bradley has the latest. Only one person was injured in the attack, according to Russia's state news agency. But this was the fourth time the capital has come under fire in recent weeks, exposing how Russia remains vulnerable even far behind its front lines in Ukraine. Russia's defense ministry says drones hit two commercial buildings on Sunday, claimed a third drone was destroyed before reaching Moscow. Back here in the U.S. responding, the State Department's Matthew Miller is not encouraging or saying he's going to enable these strikes outside of Ukraine's borders. I don't think any attempt to draw uh, any equivalency is one that's actually backed up. Yeah, uh, so they're not committing to or telling the Ukraine what to do. We neither encourage nor enable strikes outside Ukraine's borders, but it is up for to Ukraine to decide how to conduct this war. Bring it back home on the campaign trail. Republican presidential candidate Ron DeSantis continues what he calls his great American comeback tour. He was in New Hampshire yesterday unveiling what he calls the Declaration of Economic Independence for the country. Mostly, he says, by decoupling from China. Multinational corporations, particularly big tech companies, they've seen a massive surge in wealth while selling our assets and outsourcing our industrial base to China. The Florida governor's 10-point economic policy outlines the fight for the middle class, he says, by taking on the elites, D.C. bureaucrats and China. We also have to stop selling out this country's future to China. It is hurting our middle class and it is hurting our national security. And Lara Trump, uh, former President Trump's daughter-in-law, she was on with Sid and Sid and Friends in the Morning yesterday where she admitted if President Biden drops out of the race and Michelle Obama jumps in, which I should point out there's no indication that she will, but if she does, she says she could be very hard to beat. You know, Michelle has a very high likability rating on both sides of the aisle. She was a first lady. First ladies don't get really in-depth into politics. And so usually they come out a little better than a president. Lara says she has no doubt her father-in-law, Donald Trump, will sail to an easy primary victory, be the guy on stage at the Milwaukee Republican Convention next summer. Back here in New York, Mayor Adams releasing a proposal to help lower crime in the five boroughs. He calls it a blueprint for community safety. We are going to allocate $481 million to this plan that would double down on public safety efforts, invest in our most impacted communities. That money will go to the neighborhoods where gun violence is at its worst. It'll be a program of early intervention for young people, increased employment opportunities. You do an analysis of the map, you see high gun violence, you're also going to see high unemployment. You're going to see uh, dropout rates high. You're going to see mental health issues high. 
Out to Long Island at 555, the alleged Gilgo Beach murderer is uh, due in court today, as his estranged wife was speaking out yesterday. Asa Ellerup's attorney spoke on the Today Show after she released a statement asking for privacy so her neighbor could, could gain back some normalcy. The streets were closed. You had to get access by police escort to get to your own home. The neighbors have been impacted just as much as she has. Ellerup says her kids cry themselves to sleep every night, that she knew, knew nothing of what was going on. Uh, she and her two kids, by the way, have returned to that Massapequa Park home that they shared with Rex Hewerman after an investigator spent, what, 12 days searching through it. She filed for divorce on July 19th, just days after Hewerman was arrested in his Manhattan office and charged with murder in connection to the Gilgo beach murders she needs to protect herself and her children at this point not knowing what's going to happen with him yeah uh not clear what she's going to do to make money it's been a very tumultuous time for them life has been thrown upside down in the past few weeks yeah but she's asking gawkers who have been showing up regularly to leave the block so her neighbors can get back some peace and quiet and uh finally this is kind of cool muhammad ali's grandson is going to box at the end of the month. Actually, he's a UFC fighter, which is also kind of cool. His name is Biagio Ali Walsh, and he's pretty excited that he'll be battling at Madison Square Garden, where his grandfather once did battle, too. Growing up, uh, people would kind of find out who we were, and they'd try to challenge us to, like, box and stuff like that. And me and my brother would just get the gloves and, and challenge them, take yes. the challenge. It was March 8th, 1971, that Muhammad Ali, billed as the fight of the century, beat uh, heavyweight champion Joe Frazier. And so now his grandson says he hopes he has a big fight and a big win at the Garden as well. I feel like I get a sense of freedom with MMA because it's not just punching. You know, you could kick, you could knee, you could do spinning kicks. There's grappling and wrestling, and there's so much stuff involved in MMA. I believe that his spirit will be there with me. Uh, he's fought there. A lot of other great fighters have fought there. Yeah, big guy, 5'10", 185, which is good for a UFC fighter. Uh, Biagio's brother is a boxer as well. I think he'd be very supportive of it. He was supportive of my brother. Um, When my brother had his first amateur fight, he lost. I remember my brother was holding his hand, and he asked him, uh, should I continue boxing? Squeeze if I should. And uh, he, he squeezed. Of course, that was at the end, towards the end of Muhammad's Ali, uh, Ali's life. Of course, that'll sell tickets, having an Ali on the card at the end of the month at the Garden.